Amen. It is good for us to be together. Today, we are doing a uh, sermon that's not a sermon series. Um, every once in a while, we get to the end of the um, sermon series that we're doing, and then we spend a couple of weeks just stopping and saying, hey, what does the Lord have to say to us? Um, I am not unlike Evan in that I do perfectly fine when my wife is gone. I'm glad for her to be gone with the women, having a great time. I can feed myself. Um, she makes great dinners. I make great reservations. Um, and so I I promise you, I will not starve to death. That's not a problem. It's just I'm doing my best to make the house look like civil people live there when she comes back and not a single man with four dogs. Um, so that's kind of my goal right now is to do that. As I was uh, looking at this uh, message over the last couple of weeks, um, I, it was born out of conversation. It was born out of something I went through a couple of years ago, um, something that I was processing. And I thought, you know, sooner or later, I want to preach that. If you pull out my phone and go to my notes section, you'll come across these where there's just like sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon where I sit and listen to people preach and then I write my own sermons because I'm, I'm listening and I'm being um, energized creatively and spiritually but I'm not hearing a thing the guy says so if that's you today let me know and I'll make sure you get time up here on Sunday morning but in the meantime I want to share with you um, what um, the Lord has laid on my heart and um, I, I'm calling it no offense needed and honestly, um, when I was writing it, it was like, just because somebody offends you doesn't mean you have to take the offense. That's, that's where it came from. And then as I was sitting in my office this morning looking at that, it's like, I need to just be clear with you. This is not a political thing. This is not a social media thing. This is not a, I'm, I'm really not interested in, in touching that. My question is, um, as we continue to move forward, even coming out of Nehemiah and discerning, are we Nehemiah pouring into something and rebuilding it? Or are we Paul, he's discerning something that he needs to let go of in order to um, embrace what God has for us. And that's what I want to look at. And I want to look at at something that takes place in Acts chapter 15, which is where we're going to go. It's one of the most pivotal um, chapters in the New Testament, believe it or not, um, because things begin to happen right there um, in the church, um, which affects us to this day. Um, it is often referred to as the council at Jerusalem. Um, there's some things taking place. Um, Paul comes back from his second missionary journey. He heads um, to Jerusalem. He wants to give a report. All these things are going on. Paul and Barnabas together. And if you don't know who Barnabas is, Barnabas was a man, excuse me, um, that introduced uh, Paul to the brothers or the apostles or um, those that were leading the church uh, at the time. And uh, they weren't sure they wanted to meet Paul. Because Paul was a guy who was known as Saul of Tarsus, and he was the best of the best of the best Pharisees that are out there, and he was killing people. He was separating husbands from wives, children from their parents, people from their possessions, and then they were taking their possessions. Uh, and uh, Paul thought he was doing this on behalf of God, and um, the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, and in the course of events, he became one of the greatest writers um, and teachers of Jesus that you and I will ever read. And so we have this council at Jerusalem. So let me just do yes, a little setup here. Paul and Barnabas have been out on a missionary journey. They get into a dispute with some Jews from Judah when they came back from um, their missionary journey. Um, and so they decide um, that we're going to go up to Jerusalem and we're going to have a talk with these guys and see what they say. Because the 
these, um, um, these Jews came down from Judea to Antioch. It's actually north, but it's down off the mountain. Um, and they came to Antioch and they said, listen, you cannot be saved unless you get circumcised. You cannot be saved if you don't keep 613 commandments of the law of Moses. You cannot be saved. And this brought them, according to the Bible, into what's referred to as a sharp dispute okay now that's a really super gentle way of saying man they had a knockdown drag out debate argument apologetic whatever you want to call it and they went at it and so they decided you know what we're going to go to jerusalem and we're going to ask the brothers and we're going to say hey what do you guys have to say about this do gentiles which is what we are do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to get saved? And if we do, then I'm going to ask you, which of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament do you have to obey? Obviously, if you've been here long enough and, and, and you've sat here with us, you know that I'm one of those guys that will be, I'll go straight to the important part, okay? Because apparently we're in the South. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm from Maine, so everything is South. All right, Massachusetts is south, okay? But where I'm from, we're called down east, all right? Maine is down east, and it's like, what? Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? But when you go south, you start seeing barbecue places pop up all over the place. I went to Tennessee one time, and as we were coming home with my wife, I said, hey, I've never taken you to Buddy's Barbecue. How about if I take you there? She said, if you ever take me to Buddy's Barbecue, I will leave you. And I said, what? Look at that right there. She said, it's in a gas station. Some of the best barbecue ever. She's like, not where I'm going for dinner. I said, what do you want? She said, Ruby Tuesdays is right there. I was like, what? But anyway, you're Gentiles. If you have to keep 613 commandments in order to be saved, one of those is you can't eat barbecue pork. Actually, you can't eat pork. But if you try to hide it under barbecue sauce, God still sees it and you'll still burn in hell. Okay? If you're going to try to keep 613 commandments. That's not what you and I are called to. We're called to the teachings of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who said that he can sum it all up and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your, um, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've got two commandments. The Jews got 613 commandments. They're having a big fight, and it's awful. Paul and Barnabas had been on this missionary journey, and they had been leading Gentiles to the Lord. They had been teaching them about salvation, teaching them about following the teachings of Christ, and it was amazing. And I, I thought, well, what does that second missionary journey look like? This is what the second missionary journey looks like. I, I, listen, it, it's important to go back and look. So they started in Antioch over here, not Antioch and um, Sidian, but Antioch over here, okay? And they went down across Cyprus, they went up to Perga, they crossed up into Antioch and um, Pisidian, and then they went to Iconium, down to Lystra, Lystra and then over to Derby, and then if you're looking at the right map things it'll say and then they went back the other way they just followed the route back to Perga and then sailed straight across to Antioch and so that's what they did now just for the record they've been on this missionary journey for approximately two years so when you look at that red line right there imagine that's 1400 miles in two years that they walked or sailed okay and I began to think what is that 
What is 1,400 miles? Is that here to Phoenix, Arizona? No. Phoenix, Arizona is 1,900 miles from here. Okay? But Albuquerque, New Mexico is 1,404 miles from here. So imagine for just a second, if we said, we're going on a missionary journey, who wants to go? It's going to be a two-year event. We're walking to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we're going to plant churches on the way. That's what their missionary journey looked like. Now, before the map disappears, I want you to understand that as that red line crosses waters, goes to islands, does that, and, and his third journey goes the other way, his first journey goes even further. But you're going through cultures there's so many different cultures there. It's not like all these people understand Jewish culture. All these people are um, Romans. All these people are, they're not. They're going to all kinds of different cultures and they're meeting people. Most of that whole part of the world had been Hellenized, okay? And so, um, yeah, they, they understood Roman culture. But Paul is interacting with a lot of people for 1,500 miles. In the first part, they, they land on the island of Cyprus, and there was tough work, and believe it or not, only one person is recorded as getting saved. When, when, when Barnabas and, and Paul land on Cyprus, they, they, they land in Salome, they go to Paphos, they cross across there, they, they meet a sorcerer, they have this great big interaction, and in the course of their time there, only one salvation is recorded. It does not say, and people came to the Lord and the Spirit fell on the Gentiles and all of this. No, no, no. You read the story yourself. They list one person as getting saved, and then they move on to Perga up there. They go up to Pamphylia. That, that area is Pamphylia. That city, that port is Perga. So, th so they go to there. And when they get there, it's Paul, it's Barnabas, and it's Barnabas's cousin, John Mark. You'll hear him called John, and you'll hear him called Mark. He's not the Mark that, that well, anyway, let's just go there. Okay? That's what you're going to hear him. When they get to Pamphylia, when they get to Perga, John Mark decides he wants to go home. It's too hard. It's difficult. Well, I don't know if he was missing his mom. I don't know if the work was straight up scary because you're dealing with sorcerers. You know, we think that that's just TV stuff. It's just Friday night stuff. It's real stuff. It doesn't look like Hollywood. Not at all. But it is still very real stuff today. And they went and they interacted with a, a sorcerer and it got really spiritual and suddenly it looked dangerous and it was hard. And, and from my perspective, one person got saved. It was unfruitful. It's not working, we might say. And so for whatever reason, John Mark, and we don't know how his, his age is, but we know he's Barnabas' cousin. He goes back. He's done. He's going back to Antioch. He's going back to wherever he's from. He's done. We don't know why. We know he left, but we only guess at the actual reason of why. So Paul comes back from his missionary journey to Antioch, where the adventure began. Um, he's been leading the Gentiles to the Lord, like I said. The Holy Spirit's been falling on them. Generally speaking, in, in the, the book of Acts, what that means is people were speaking in tongues. Um, and so um, people came down from Judea. They said, no, you've got to get these people uh, circumcised according to the law, according to Moses, um, or they can't be saved. Um, and they just get into it, and they're going at it. And so they say, you know what? We're going off to Jerusalem. We're going to talk to the disciples, and we're going to see what they have to say. And it's taken me that long to get you to Acts um, 15 at verse 36. That's what I want you to see. Okay? 
And so in Acts 15, beginning of verse 36, they go down there. The brothers, actually Mark stands up and says, listen, we should not make it any harder for the Gentiles to, to get saved. So we're not going to do that anymore. We're, we're going we're to make it easy on them as we possibly can. So he lists a couple things like, I think it's remember the Sabbath, don't eat meat with blood um, in it. Um, I think they actually said don't eat meat with sacrifice to idols, but that wasn't part of my message, so I didn't like camp on that. Here's the deal. We get to this place and they say, okay, they've had this big fight. They've had this council at um, Jerusalem. Jerusalem has said, we're going to make it easy for um, Gentiles to get saved. And then it says this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas is like, yes, that is a great idea. Just a minute. Let me get a hold of John Mark. Let's take him with us again. And then we have the altercation. Barnabas wanted to take John, Mark, also, John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them and Pamphylia had not continued with them in the work. So we know from that sentence right there that it had something to do with the work. He didn't continue in the work. And so that's what's going on. And so now Paul and Barnabas, remember, Paul and Barnabas together were fighting against the Jews that came down and said, ah, you got to circumcise these guys. you got to do it. And now Paul and Barnabas are sitting across the table from each other discussing what they're going to do on this next third missionary journey. And Paul says, let's go visit the churches. And Barnabas says, yes, let me get a hold of John Mark, send him an email, give him a phone call, text him, whatever it was going to be. And let's get him on this trip. Maybe we can. And, and Paul's like, it's not happening, dude. It is not happening. And look what it says. Paul did not think it wise to take them with him because he deserted them in Pamphylia, had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. You ever been there? Man, somebody that you lived with for two years, that you walked next to for 1,400 miles. That's living life together. Somebody you want to know, went on a mission trip with maybe in these days that you flew around the world and you spent two or three or four or five years together doing ministry. And then a couple of years after you take a break from it, you call him up and you say, call her up and you say, hey, let's go do this. And suddenly you have such a sharp dispute that you can't even be together. That's the picture that you've got going on here. It says they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and then there's a period. Wow. Not they agreed to disagree and go different directions. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that they blessed each other and said, well, I can't do it your way. Well, I can't do it your way. So you just go ahead and, and you know, you, God will go with you. It, it does not say that. It said that things got so sharp and so ugly that they parted company. And then there's a period. Wow. <clears throat> it goes on from that period to say, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for the island of Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, command, com, uh, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the, the churches. Now, I will say 
that they multiplied the evangelism. I will say that. But Luke, who writes the book of Acts for you and I, the guy that wrote the book of Luke was a Gentile doctor, and he also wrote the book of Acts, okay? And he wrote the book of Acts all about how the church grew. He made a point to say, Barnabas left with that little rat cousin of his, you know how we say, that little, bless their heart, and they headed off. But he, but he made a point of saying, but Silas and Paul left with a commendation from the church. You see what happened in that writing? See, so many times we just pass right over what the Scripture says. We do. And then they went that way, and they went that way. And then you say, yeah, we'll stand up here, and we just say they went that way, and they went that way. That's not what it says. It said they had such a knockdown, drag out, that sharp dispute got ugly to the point that they separated and those guys left, but these guys got prayed over or in some way they were commended to the church as being sent out as missionaries. That doesn't negate the work that they did. I'm just telling you, there was an offense given. Paul got offended with Barnabas and Barnabas got offended with Paul. And you know how it is when it's family. I'm going to preach a message on family coming up here pretty quick. But you know how it is when it's family. It's like, man, I will beat the living daylights out of my brother. And I can take him because I'm two years older than him and about, I probably weigh about the same. But, um, you know, I think I can still take him at 62. I think. And besides, I got new hips. Okay. But I think I can take him. But heaven help the person that tries to take him while I'm standing there. Right? I can beat him up, but you can't beat him up. Okay, I can kick him in the shin, but you can't kick him in the shin. Isn't that the way we, we do with family? And that's the same thing that's happening with Paul and Barnabas. Paul is like, I'm not taking your cousin. And Barnabas is like, we're taking my cousin or I'm not going. And Paul says, we're not going. And I know I'm making this up, but it fits the narrative. They had such a sharp dispute that they said, Get away from me. And, and they parted company. And it's like, wow. You ever been there where you got into an interaction with somebody and you just got straight up offended by what was going on? How do you handle offenses? I believe this with all of my heart. I, 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 listen, we... If you read social media, everybody in the world's been offended at some point, okay? Now, again, I'm not making political statements. I'm not here to do that. I really don't care. But at, at the end of the day, we've all been offended. Somebody has said something to us at work. A spouse just in passing said, man, are you going to clean this house up? And, and offended us, you know? Um, a, a child said, well, you could be a better mother. We get offended. Something goes wrong in a friendship. We get offended. Something hurts us, we get offended. But what do we do with it? It's like picking up a suitcase and we begin to carry it. And this is how you know if you've been, if you've been offended to the degree that you need to listen to me this morning. Okay, Because you might be in here and go, I don't think I've ever been offended by anybody like that. Okay, that's great. Okay, you Very tight circle, very few friends in your life. I'm not sure what it is, but even my friends offend me sometimes. And, and goodness, I'm not dumb enough that I don't stand in the mirror and say, you know, who did you offend? Who do you need to go apologize to? I believe that I should always be growing personally as a Christian, secondly as a pastor. 
But there's that idea that when somebody offends us, what do we do with it? And you can tell if you're carrying an offense because you need to tell the story. And when you need to tell the story, what you're trying to do is get somebody on your side. Okay? Does that make sense to you? They may not even know the person that offended you. But you need them on your side to be offended for you so that you can feel justified in carrying this baggage that you really don't even want. You don't want to carry offenses around. All they do is drag you down and slow you down. All they do is keep you from realizing the life that can be yours if you're moving forward. It, it's, it's crazy. So what do we do with it? That's how we know we're carrying an offense when we have to repeat why we're right. But how do we handle it? How should we handle it? I believe this with all of my heart. When you're offended, when you feel offended, and like one pastor said, just because somebody offended you doesn't mean you have to take it. You can leave it right there. So what do I do? The first thing is you need to ask yourself, is what they said true? Is what they said true? This person that just offended you, I had a boss that took me in one time. I was working for uh, um, Kodak. It was a, Diconics was a Kodak company at the time, and they invented the 300 by 300 inkjet printer. And I was in a lab you know, with microscopes and gold plates and 300 dots. Across. It was crazy. Um, we were printing ink out of a hole that was one-third the size of a human hair. It was amazing. You know what the first inkjet printer was actually used for? Scratch-off lottery tickets. You didn't know that, did you? The machine is, was probably from here to that wall, and it took a fork truck to load the card stock into the machine. It was amazing. But that's what it was for, is to print that ink that you scratch off. That being said, we printed uh, what used to be the, um, the word processing center of a company. It would be like a floor, and they would have one big printer in there. When it was all said and done, I was in a lab with eight people that were responsible to me, and, and I was getting my review by this, this guy named Terry that I worked for. And um, he was a nice enough guy, I'm sure, but uh, a little wired like I am on coffee in the morning. But uh, he brought me into his office and gave me my annual review. And one of the things he'd said to me, he looked me right in the eye. I was driving a 79 Mustang at the time, turbo, four-cylinder, you know, four-speed. It was hot, um, or I thought it was. And now I'm not a Mustang guy, and there you go. Um, but he brought me in, and he said, Joe, sit down. He gave me my review, and he's like, you're doing great. You're going to get a little tiny bit of a raise, but i got to tell you, there's, there's something i got to tell you, Joe. Come on, let me tell you. And I said, what is it, Terry? He said, if I go out to your car right now, he said, I'll bet it is beautiful. And those of you that know me know that I have a neurosis. Okay, and yes, it was. Sitting in the parking lot, shiny, clean, if I hit a bug, I probably stopped at the car wash to wash the car because I hit a bug. You know, I, I was sick. It, it's an illness. I can get over it, but not right now. Okay. And I said, you, you're absolutely right, Terry. I said, 79 Mustang. I said, it's the pace car this year. I said, four-speed, turbo, four-cylinder, hot little thing, you know. And I go through it, and he goes, I bet the inside of it's filthy. And just like that, I was offended because he was right. I said, why did you say that? He said, because sometimes as people, we care more about our presentation 
than our depth. He said, and you are doing a great job around here, but you're not doing it to do the job, you're doing it to get the accolade. He said, I need you to focus on the quality of the work that you're doing and just raise it up a little bit. He said, a lot like you need to go out there, he said, and when you wash the outside of your car, go ahead and vacuum the inside of the car too. Literally changed my life. Because the first thing I did when I was madder and a hornet, who's Terry think he is, man, guy's about that tall. You know, I had to say, what, boss? You know, and it's like, I give him a piece of my mind. The first thing I had to deal with was he was absolutely right. Went out to my car and it's never been dirty again. <laughs> it's like, no, that's, that's not. I began to look at myself in the depth and the quality of why I do what I do. And so the first thing we do when we feel like we've been offended is we sit down and we say that, you know, sometimes the, the truth does hurt us. It hurts a little bit. But it's only because our egos or our value, our perceived value or our desired value is to some degree under attack. Am I pretty enough? Am I handsome enough? Am I smart enough? Am I good enough for this job, for this role, for this relationship, for this? And we begin to do that. And sometimes we have to recognize that some of the things that we're doing, we've got to change. And we don't like what people say about us, but if we're honest with ourselves, there's a little too much truth to it to let it go. And we've got to look at it. So you have to say, are you being offended? Or are you carrying the offense? Discernment is required here because sometimes people are trying to help you. Terry Glaze, I shouldn't use his last name. Terry was trying to assist me. He was trying to help me grow into a better leader. He really was. And it was up to me to decide whether or not I was going to um, listen to him. Because if somebody comes to you and you feel offended, do you care about what they say? Is it somebody that you care about or do you think cares about you? For those of us that are following Jesus, the second question I want to encourage you to ask is, does this person have an obvious, growing relationship to Jesus? Is what they said true or not? The next question is, is this somebody whose feet are pointed toward the cross. This, I'm not asking you to ask, is this somebody who's perfect? Because I'm just going to tell you right now, Joe Wood is not perfect. Joe Wood struggles just like any other human male on this planet, okay, with, with value, wanting to belong, wanting to be perceived, wanting to be understood, wanting all the things that, that males understand. Okay, that's where I am. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you, to, are your feet pointed toward the cross? Are you trying to grow, and is the person that's talking to you in that situation? Are they chasing Jesus in a manner in which you see that going, in, going on? Are they constantly walking in the light? Not, are they perfect? Are they trying to help you grow? Because why would you trust somebody that is pulling you further away from the cross? Why would you do that? Why would you trust people that are trying to get you to do what they're doing because they need to validate what they're doing? And in your heart, you might be saying, you know what? It's not right. Jesus is doing something in my life and I want to go a different direction. 
And the scripture says, and then those people are going to be like, why don't you run with us anymore? They should be saying that to you. And that's your opportunity not to throw a rock, but to simply say, hey, I'm doing my best to follow the teachings of Jesus, and this is kind of dragging me the wrong way. I need to go down this road with Christ. Does this person have an obvious growing relationship with Jesus? It was a question I had to ask when I was dating a young lady one time, and somebody from the church pulled me aside said, I want to talk to you about this relationship you got going on. And I thought, well, okay. I trusted this person. And they just looked me in the eye and they said, is this young lady who doesn't go to church and doesn't, you know, at that point, I don't know, believe in Jesus or follow Jesus, I don't know how you wanted to say it, but is she drawing you toward the church or away from the church? It's pretty clear. He's only talking to me because she was drawing me away from the church. <laughs> it's like, come on. But that's where I was. And I was so thankful that there was somebody that had the guts to sit down and say, hey, this doesn't look like the best thing for you, but they didn't do it in an accusatory way. They didn't say, hey, you're going to go to hell. If you, and they just simply said, hey, let me ask you a question. Is this person drawing you closer to Christ, or are they drawing you away from Christ? And so I began to process that, because you know it's that quick that you begin to take an offense, and offenses are born out of defense mechanisms in our lives that are harmful and toxic. I want everybody to be kept out. I want everybody to perceive me as good, handsome, well-doing, great leader, all the things. And when somebody chips away at one of those, I take an offense simply because my ego has presented a front, and that's not what needs to happen. But when somebody lashes out or cuts you, it can be a reflection of what's going on in their own life. That's why I have to ask, is this person growing in a relationship with Jesus that you would like to emulate? Or do you feel like somebody has just lashed out and cut you, and then you need to look back at their life and say, what happened that brought them here, that made them feel rejected? There's, a, there's all kinds of things, okay? Um, but when somebody lashes out or cuts you, it can be a reflection of what's going on in their hearts how they were treated at an earlier age. Uh, it might be a sinful act. It might be feelings of failure. Um, and that's where people begin to lash out a little bit. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer. That's why I say don't tell the story anymore. A drunkard, a swindler. That's what Paul was doing. He was swindling people out of their land. He said, do not, do not even eat with such people. Now, Paul goes on to say, he's not talking about people in the world. He's not talking about sinners. He's talking about people inside the church that don't show evidence of their feet pointed toward the cross and a constant and continuing transformation in their lives. See? Because when we meet Jesus, there should be a transformation. What did Paul say? The new has come. The old is gone. And Paul's saying, is the old gone? If the old is not gone, then you've got to ask yourself, does this person have an obvious growing relationship to Jesus? How do we view that passage? Because that's a tough one, to be honest with you. The last thing I want to share with you as we wrap this thing up is, do you want to be like this person? When somebody comes and you feel a little bit offended, and you've got to ask yourself, is it true? And then you've got to ask yourself, is this person walking with Christ in a manner in which... I, I see it. And then the second thing is, and I'm not saying you want their life and so you're just going to like forget who you are. Don't go there. But do you want to be like that? 
Because the truth is, we all need mentors, and I think that's something that's missing from our society just a little bit. We need mentors for our marriages. You want to see marriages get stronger in America? Let's, let's take up some mentors. 24-year-old kids get married. Let's hook them up with the 60-year-old mentors that just have them for dinner once a month and say, how's the marriage going? What are the things that you're fighting about? What's the difficulties? How is parenting going? Um, how is careers? And just begins to talk to them about life as a married couple. Okay? Do you want a marriage like this couple has? Do you want a relationship with Jesus like this, like this couple has? I just interacted with a friend of mine that I've known since um, 2003, and he made a statement, and in the course of his statement, I said, you are hands down probably the most ethical, the most ethical and honest person I have ever met. And, and I'll tell you, there are days that I wished I could be like this man. Not that I don't want to be ethical and honest, or I'm not. I'm just saying, this guy wouldn't pick up 10 cents and put it in his pocket unless he was standing in the middle of the Sahara Desert. It's, it, there's just so much ethics there, so much quality, and it's just like, yes, I want to be like that. And so you know what you do? You hang around with that person more. That's what you do. Because what? Because you're going to become like the six people that you hang around with the most. And that's why I ask you, do you want to be like this person? When it comes down to it, that's probably the most important question that you can ask yourself. The people that you know, they know you and they know the truth. Can you listen to them? Okay? Now, I gave you three questions. If you answer yes to these questions, then ignore your attitude and your hurt and use this as a chance to better yourself. You've been offended. Is it true? Okay? Does this person have a walk with Jesus? And do you want to be like him? Yes, yes, and yes. Okay, great. Then let's put the offense down, okay? Ignore the attitude, the hurt that's going on inside of here. Apologize for offending the person or taking the offense. So that might be pay it back, make restitution, sit down and have coffee with them, talk it out, work it out. Do everything that you possibly can to come back together. And then when you're all done, move forward in restoration. That's just a, been a goal of mine for years now. Can we please sit? And listen, people will say they want to sit down, but they won't. And then you still got to move on. If you answer no to these questions, no, it's not true, okay? I don't see them following Jesus, and I don't want to be like this person. Then, once again, put the suitcase down, put the offense down, and walk away. Okay? Walk away. We have to get to the place where we begin to understand that we cannot stay in an environment that continues to do that. It's okay to walk away. Don't light the fuse and walk away. You don't have to blow up the building or the relationship. But it might be very important for you to walk away. When you're walking away, it doesn't matter what they say, doesn't matter what they think, doesn't matter what they do. Your friends know the truth, and if they're real friends, they'll have your back. And that may be why you feel offended, because you love them so much, but they need to sit down and say, hey, let's talk about this, okay? You are playing to an audience of one, period. And Jesus teaches it. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift and go to be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift because what you care about is the person that you're offering your gift to. 
But he wants you to be in a right relationship. The scripture will say in the book of Romans right here, don't repay anybody for evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul says, if it's possible. Listen to me, it's not. But if it is, do everything you can to be at peace. But there are some people that don't like you. And they don't know why. Okay? They don't. And that's okay. We don't have to be malicious about it. Don't take revenge, Paul says. My dear friends, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. We can do that. We can we don't have to be their best friend, but we can do that. How does Paul and John Mark's story end? They were at different ends of the, the deal. In the book of Philemon, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. That Mark is John Mark. See, they made up. I don't know who got them back together. I don't know who put them in a room and said, fight it out. <laughs> but they got back together. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says to Timothy, only Luke is with me. Please get Mark. It's John Mark. Please get Mark and bring him with you because he has been helpful to me in my ministry. Clearly, Paul, John Mark, worked it out to the place where Mark joined him in his ministry. They worked it clear out. So today we pray for hurts. Today we want to pray that people can put down offenses, hurts that have happened to them. Today you can choose to move forward and not carry that hurt. You can. I believe that carrying an offense is a choice. Today, we put down the need to tell the story to get people on our side. The Bible records that in ancient times, there came from Gilead beyond the Jordan a substance used to heal and soothe. It came perhaps from a tree or a shrub and was a major commodity of trade in the ancient world. It was known as the balm, B-A-L-M, of Gilead, the soothing lotion of Gilead, and that name has become symbolic for the power to soothe and to heal. And so today we ask Jesus to be our balm of Gilead and to put that on our hearts because we've been hurt. And for some of you, it may be a big, almost insurmountable hurt. I get that. I get that. And for some, somebody took your Tootsie Roll but you're still offended. I, listen, it's real. It's real, okay? Somebody eats the last Smarties at my house and we gotta have a talk, you know? It's real. And so we still have to be at the place where we, we've gotta give it to God. We've gotta give it to the Lord. And that's what I wanna do with you today. That's what I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do with you today. In your head, there's a story that you keep retelling in your heart. There's a story that you keep retelling because you need people to know whatever that is. And I think the Lord wants you to put it down today. 
And we want to pray for you. And so if you recognize that, yeah, I keep telling that story, I need to put it down. Can we pray for you this morning? Can we do that? Could, we, could you just get up and come on up here and let one of these people pray for you? Because you know that there's an offense that you're carrying that's keeping you from being a minister of reconciliation. Because God wants to bring Barnabas, or excuse me, John, Mark, and Paul back together. And you're the Paul. And he wants to do it in your life today. He wants to take that offense so that you don't have to live hurt with the baggage. So these people are up here to pray for you. So let's pray, and then we're going to be singing this song. And while we're singing the song, if you've been here at this church long enough, you know you can move up here. And moving up here does not mean that you are worth less or a bigger sinner than anybody in this room. It just means that you want to be touched by God for some healing of some sort. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you. We want to thank you and praise you for today. We want to thank you for this example, this story, this, this um, circumstance of Paul and Barnabas and, and uh, John Mark. And we just ask and pray right now, God, that you would begin to move in here. Because these burdens that we're carrying are too heavy for us, and you died on the cross so that you could carry them for us. Not so that you could work out your wrath in their life, but God, we want those people saved. We want those people inspired. We want those people healed. We want those people encouraged because if they're there, then they're going to be blessed in doing what you want, and our lives will be even more full to see the kingdom of God moving in the lives of people maybe that have hurt us and where we've hurt other people, God. And you're calling us in this room right now to say, hey, you know what? I want you to step out and go make it right. Then I ask and pray that you give us courage like you did Joshua. And I pray, God, that you begin to move people forward. But Lord, I believe with all of my heart there are people that need to put it down right now. And so we ask and pray. Help us to do just that so that we can leave here lighter and freer than we were when we came in. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.